Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Well, here we are. Uh, we made it through Labor Day. Thank you guys for being out here to worship today. And uh, I, we're going to start a sermon series here on prayer. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Uh, I've been reading a lot, been praying a lot, been thinking a lot about how we go into this. But uh, my, my simple vision, my simple vision for the next two months, that the outcome, I guess you'd say, the outcome that I really want to see happen is that you and I would know God better than we ever have before. You and I would be closer to God than we ever have been before. You and I would experience God like we never have before. As you, uh, as you come to the, 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 the messages on prayer, as your community group, hopefully you're in a community group, you uh, participate in a study on prayer, maybe you're in a ministry that's uh, focused on prayer this season, uh, pray that this would be a, an incredible time for you to draw near to the God who is drawn near to you. Uh, we, are, uh, we, we sometimes think about uh, what, what are we doing here? What's, what's our goal? What's our, what's our work as a church? Living Water, we say uh, our mission is to lead people to a life-changing and ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, the focus is on relationship. A fancy way of saying uh, we're here to make disciples for Jesus. Followers, followers of Jesus, learners of Jesus, participants in Jesus' life. Uh, churches throughout uh, history, they, they focused on some different things, and, and they're all good. But oftentimes, we, we can, maybe we can break down discipleship into three, three ways of, of talking about it. Uh, a lot of churches focus on doctrine, okay, what you learn, truth. So maybe head, head knowledge. Disciple, a disciple knows the truth. Okay, a disciple knows the truth, and they walk with God in the truth. Okay? A disciple, however, is also described sometimes with, as, as hands and feet. Okay? A disciple of Jesus loves like Jesus loves. Okay? A disciple of Jesus, when we talk about doctrine, we also talk about practice, so hands and feet. Uh, ethics, morals, how we live. Uh, uh, practice is, is visiting people in jail, is feeding the poor clothing the naked, uh, giving a cold cup of water to somebody who's in need. That's, that's practice. That's hands and feet. The church is meant to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. We build the, with our doctrine the truth, hands and feet. But what about the heart? Right? The, the heart, the place on the interior, the interior relationship with God. God wants to change us from the inside out. He wants us to become men and women like Jesus Christ. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness. That, that comes from an interior transformation. You realize the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwells within every Christian. If the living God, the Lord God Almighty, has come into our life, how can we not be changed? How can we not experience God? But, but the, 
I know it's, it's, we have some questions. How do I experience God? How, how do I know? Because obviously we're not like the disciples or the apostles before. We, we can't see him. We can't touch him. We, we, we don't hear his audible voice. How do we, how do we get this relationship with God in, in a real way? But again, uh, I hope over the next few months as we study prayer, we think about what prayer is and what God intends that all of us would be relationally closer, experiencing God in a real way. Uh, where does it begin? How does it start? Is this, real po- is this really possible that we could know God in a, in a real way? Or, or you know, some people, they think it's just abstract, and, and there's this talk about a relationship with God, but it's just metaphor. What if it's not just metaphor? What if it's real? How, how do we go there? How do we build that? How do we draw near to God? I want to start with how God has created us. Open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Now, if you've been with us in a previous sermon series, we spent a lot of time in these verses. So you're probably familiar with them. You might even be able to, uh, to speak them without looking at it. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. You and I, every person in this room, has been made in the image of God. You were made to reflect God to the wider world. You were made to reflect Him and glorify Him and honor Him through your life. And what that means is, there's, there's, many, there's many implications of that, is, is of course you're valuable. If God made you for a purpose, you have value and importance in His sight. But the, the thing that's sometimes missed in, the, in this, in this uh, poetry, in this, this speaking of the historical account of God's creation of man and woman, is that God has made people in His image so that we could be relationally part of His life. The theologians call these communicable attributes. Now, communicable, I, that's probably a bad word <laughs> in some settings with the virus going around. But it means that God has given us attributes so that we can have a relationship with others, a personal relationship with others, on the horizontal level, and we can have a relationship with God on the vertical level. In other words, God has made us in such a way, He's given us the attributes of personality, of of love, of uh, all kinds of different ways that we interpersonally connect. He's made us in such a way we're not like animals. You know, the animals, your, your pets, they can relate in some fashion, but not on the level of humans. God has made us in His image so that we can draw near to Him. He wanted us to be able to know Him. A snapshot of this, if you look at chapter 3, verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they had sinned, right? And they, they hid from God because they were ashamed. They realized they were naked. Sin 
expose them to something they never expected. But the picture there is, is something that, who knows how long it was happening before sin came. God decided to draw near to his creation. God decided to draw near to the people he made. And it's a very intimate scene of walking in friendship with Adam and Eve and walking in closeness, walking um, as not, not as a, an idea, not as a metaphor, not as a force, not as a being out there somewhere, but as their God who came close. And we, we don't know how the Lord God had to condescend to make that happen. You know, how do, you, how do, you talk to, how do we talk to ants, right? The, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of all the galaxies, somehow he had to come into their presence and he took on a form that they could relate to, that they weren't blinded by, that they weren't crushed by. But you can imagine that, that garden scene, just them walking and talking. God came to them in a way that they could relate to. He came to them to be with them. And in that, the creation of God, of you and I, there's love. He wants to be with us. Well, of course, sin caused a problem. Sin separated us from God. If you keep reading the garden scene here, they're hiding, they're running away, they're trying to find the biggest fig leaves possible. They're ashamed. The rebellion of mankind, the rebellion of people moved us away from God. And through the, through the centuries, that, that phrase is echoed, where are you? Through the centuries, God keeps asking that question to humanity, where are you? God continues to look and pursue. He wants to be with His creation. Jump with me to the end of time. To the end of history, Revelation chapter 21. The brokenness of the intention of love and relationship and intimacy and closeness that our God had for us is broken by sin. But look at Revelation 21, verse 1. Who knows when eternity will start? God does, we don't. But here's a, a vision that the Apostle John was given. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God Himself will be with them as their God. Uh, and just, uh, just imagine that. The Maker of the universe coming down to be with people like you and I. He's going to create a, a world, a setting, a, a new creation, specifically so He can be with us again. In verse 4, for us guys, it's a little bit uh, uh, uncomfortable, but there's a, a picture of intimacy in verse 4 of Jesus with His bride. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So that picture of intimacy is when you wipe someone's tears. I remember wiping my kids' tears sometimes with my, with my thumb, and you look them in the eye, and you tell them it's going to be okay. And so God says, there's going to be a day when I look you in the eye, and I wipe away the, the brokenness of this world that you've experienced, the suffering that you've experienced, all the tears that you've shed, all the horrible things that have happened to you in this life, I'm going to be there face to face with you. God wants to be near us. He's created this whole world as a platform, as an atmosphere, as a setting for our relationship. Sin has come in and wrecked and ruined much of his beautiful creation, and yet it's still so glorious and wonderful. What will the next world be like? The age to come, the new heaven, the earth, what will that new Jerusalem be like? Heaven is going to be great, as it were, but you realize the gospel, the gospel isn't preached to get you to heaven. The gospel is preached to get you to God. The good news that Chad talked about, about a, a Savior coming to die for sins, a Savior coming to give His life away, to die in, in, in sinners' place, to take the debt of their, their sin. Jesus came to die so He could get you to the Father. So He could cleanse you and redeem you and reconcile you to the Father. Because God so loved the world. God so loved you that He'd do anything anything to get you back. And ultimately, he paid the highest price that could ever be paid. He gave his only begotten son to save his enemies, to reconcile them to himself. And we see here at the end of time, God's intention, he draws near to us. He wants to be with us forever. Do you realize what, what, what God is saying in these actions, this, this scripture, this Bible that he's, he's given us, he's, he's, he, I, there's different metaphors to talk about the scriptures. There's different ways to look at it. But what I see, this, the Bible, I see a love story. I, I see that this, this, this historical account, this, this the beautiful narrative that starts with, I made you to love you, to know you, to be with you. And then there's a brokenness, the, the drama, there's a separation, but there's, the, there's this building climax this, that reaches a crescendo of God coming to earth and, as man, giving his life away to, to reclaim his beloved, to reclaim his bride, to reclaim the people that he made for himself. And one day he will have us. Those he's purchased with his blood. And so we have the beginning and the end of time. And God says, I want to dwell with you. I want to walk with you. I want to be near you. And what happens in the middle? Well, that's, that's the story, right? That, that's, that's the narrative that we're a part of. God's writing us into His story. God, God we're, we're, we're caught up in this grand story, this grand narrative, this, this grand, beautiful, uh, wonderful love story of, of God reconciling people to Himself. I, 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 told, I told the elders on Thursday night, man, I've got to do shorter sermons on Sunday. I'm killing those people. Those sermons are so long, man. I got, so I'm, I had so much I wanted to go to, but I, 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 let me just tell you, remember, remember Genesis 12? 
Remember Genesis 12, what happened there? After, after the flood, remember what, what is the story, God, the wickedness was so great, the evil was so great in the world that God wiped out the world. And then Noah and his family, they were only unrighteous. And, and, and after Noah, after the, you know, the flood receded, they were still evil, there's still wickedness. And the Tower of Babel, remember when we got there in, in the early part of Genesis? And, 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 and God, God's command was, you know, fill the earth with my image. Multiply and fill the earth. I want my image to be everywhere. I want my, my reflection to be everywhere in the world. And the people said, no, we're going to come together. We're going to build a tower for ourselves. We're going to make this world about ourselves. And so God came in judgment and, and he basically said, no, you're going to listen to me. I want my, my image everywhere in the world. So he scattered humanity and, and confused their language. The Babel was, was scattered. And we've been babbling ever since, as it were. But in Genesis 12, remember what happened. Out of the darkness, God began a plan of redemption. He said, Abram, leave your family, leave your nation, because I'm going to make you into a great nation. And what did he do with that? He said to Abram, man, through your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Through your offspring, I'm going to bring about something incredible, a reconciliation, a redemption. I'm going to bring all, in other words, I'm going to bring people back to myself. And God's, God, you know, the, the sin that drove us away, he's basically saying, I'm going to win those people back with my own two hands. I'm going to make something happen. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I love people so much. And so he said to Abram, you know, through your offspring, and who's his offspring? Well, well, literally, you know, Isaac and then Jacob. And Jacob became Israel. And then Israel had 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. They, they were sent out. They, they were moved from Egypt to to the promised land, they, they, were, they became a nation, and, and they were supposed to be this nation that God was using to, to be a light on the hill, to be a city on the hill, this nation that was supposed to be close to God, you know, they're supposed to draw near to God, God gave them His law, His instruction, draw to, seek me, seek me and you'll find me, He was giving them the instruction, they were supposed to live with God and walk with God, and they're, they're in, call the other nations to God, come and look at who we found, God, we, come, we found a real God, the holy God, the true God, and, and as we worship, you know, the, the nations we're supposed to see, but Israel, Israel failed because they didn't draw near to God. They started pursuing other gods and other idols. God said, I'm here, I'm right here, I saved you. Come and be with me, but, but they wouldn't have it. They chased other idols, and, and God called it adultery. And it was terrible. But Israel, when we get into Isaiah, Israel's called the son of God. You're my son, I made you to, you know, but, but the son was failing. And, and then, then we find out in Isaiah, there's another son of God. His name is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. See, Israel, the son of God, was foreshadowing and pointing to the true son of God, Jesus. And, and so we have all kinds of, all kinds of um, scripture in, in the New Testament. And, and if you look at uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, uh, Jesus' self-expression of why he came. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, uh, we are imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and, and sacrifice to God. Or, or, or Titus, Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Titus chapter 2, verse 
14, Jesus, the great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself up to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. The story of the Bible from the beginning to the end, God wanted people, God wanted people, God wanted people to draw near to him. He drew near to people. There was sin. The end of the story is he's going he's to have a people of his very own. He's going to dwell with them. But the, the, the story in the Bible, starting in Genesis 12, is God started a plan of redemption. The, the story went and, 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 it, and it climaxed and it crescendoed. Jesus came and he, I'm giving my life to make people of my very own. I'm giving my life so I can win people back to the Father. And, and so the, the, the whole story of that, the Bible goes that way. And, and at the end, if you're in Jesus Christ, if you've repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will be with the maker of heaven and earth. You'll be with your, your, your God who so badly wants to be with you forever. But the question is, is this relationship that we see in the scriptures, is, is it only for the next life? Is it only for what's coming? Or could it be that the Lord who has made us to love us, the, more, the Lord who has made us for relationship, with, for intimacy, could it be that He wants to be with us now? Like, like some people maybe think, like, well, He saved, us, saved me for, for the next life, maybe, but I... I feel like God's a million miles away. I feel like I, I don't even know God. I, you know, maybe I theologically have come you know, to a doctrinal understanding, but maybe do I know God? Do I, is God with me? Does, does He want me now? And absolutely, the answer is yes. We've been born again into an eternal life going on now. It's going to culminate... We're, we're between the times. It's already, it's, it's not yet, but something started where, where we're alive in Christ now. And, and again, the, the scriptures say that we've been brought into union with Christ, meaning that Christ is in you and you are in Christ. The very God who made the heavens and earth is, is in you. He, he's, the scripture said you've been sealed in the spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit in your life. We are corporately a temple of the Spirit, and yet individually, you're called a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, the God dwells in you. And wouldn't it be strange if the very living God who's with you right now, Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Wouldn't it be weird if He was with you and you never knew it? Wouldn't it be with you if you, if you never experienced it? Now, sometimes we get scared about experience because sometimes Christians abuse experience. They're looking for some high. Or they're looking for some, some kind of like experience uh, feeling or something. And we know they get twisted sometimes. But God is personal and God is real and He's in your life. Brothers and sisters, we can experience God today and know His love today. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. It's not just at the beginning of time. It's not just at the end of time. Look at the, the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the church in Ephesus. A prayer that includes us. 
For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. My friends, that is a bold prayer. That is a visionary prayer. That is a prayer of relationship. May you be filled with the fullness of God. Not in the next life. In this life. May you know the love of God today. A love that surpasses knowledge. He's praying that that church would know that. And know, yes, it's in the biblical sense of experience. Not just a head knowledge, but an experiential knowledge. We can certainly know God today. But, we ask the question, because we're that kind of people, we keep chasing the rabbit, how do we experience God today? How do we live a life that meets with God? How do we put ourselves in a position to be present to God as He is present to us? I, uh, I read a story about Billy Graham this week. In 1982, Billy Graham was called uh, to give an interview with the Today Show in New York City. I don't know if the Today Show is still on or not, but it used to be really, really popular. It used to have a, be a national platform when there wasn't so many channels. So the Today Show producer, as Billy Graham came into the building, he said to Billy Graham's assistant, we've set up a special room for Billy to be able to pray before the interview, before he goes on live on a national audience. And so the assistant said, well, that won't be necessary. We, we don't need that prayer room. And uh, the producer was kind of stunned, you know, maybe a little offended, like they went to that trouble to set up a prayer room. And, and he was a little surprised, like before he gets on you know, television, he's, he doesn't want to pray. And, and the assistant said, well, it's not like that. You know, when, when, when Mr. Graham woke up this morning, he was praying. And as he was eating his breakfast, he was probably praying. And as he drove over here this morning in the car, he was praying. And really, as he's giving the interview, he will probably be praying. When we think of prayer, we often think of a prayer list. Like some of you, I got to pray for Tina, I got to pray for John or Javier, I got to pray for so and so, and keep a prayer list. And for many of us, prayer is just that. But prayer is something much grander and glorious and wonderful. 
The kind of prayer that the Bible talks about, the kind of prayer that was in that illustration, is God's people being present with God even when they're not talking. Being present with God in the midst of God at all times of their life. Could you imagine dwelling in the presence of God as you're teaching school? Could you imagine being in the presence of God as you're changing diapers? Could you imagine being in the presence of God as you're you're doing your banking or as you're digging ditches or you're driving the tractor? Could you imagine living in the presence of God when you're doing other things very intensely? The living God has come into your life. He's never departed. He's always there. Could it be that as a people that He's redeemed and reconciled to Himself, could it be that we could learn to live in His presence all the time? Maybe you've read some of the Apostle Paul's teachings on prayer and it's blowing you away. Remember in in Ephesians chapter 6, verse verse 18? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul, maybe you got there when you're reading through Ephesians, he says, pray at all times. (laughs) And what? At all times? What do you mean, Paul? I I I can't even get a time alone with myself in my crazy life. You mean pray at all times? What does that even mean? Or you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. And he, and, he, and he says famously, pray continually. Pray continually? Like, don't stop? Yeah. <laughs> what? So, so if, you, if you take that with a prayer request mentality, or you got your checklist, so 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, I'm supposed to keep lifting up prayers. Keep li- oh, and, and boy, we've got a lot of prayers. Oh, Lord God Almighty, I, 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 I want to pray for my granddad Helen. Man, she's got a, a huge bunion on her foot, and it's scaring me. Please heal her. And then you go down to the next prayer request and the next prayer request. But what if you have, to, what if you have a job? What, what if you have to go to work? What if you have to take care of your kids in your house? What do you have to do all this stuff? Like you're supposed to stop and, I mean... It doesn't seem, doesn't seem right in some fashion, right? How could he ask us to pray continually if, if we're supposed to be in the conversation with God and talking with God and giving him our requests? <clears throat> and so what I want to bring to you is this idea that something we're going to bring out in the Lord's Prayer the ne- next seven or eight weeks as we study the Lord's Prayer and I bring you more messages on prayer is that prayer is something bigger than maybe you've imagined. Prayer is something that you live Because the Lord of God Almighty is drawn near to you, maybe it's you becoming aware of the Lord's presence in your life. Maybe prayer is dwelling in God's presence. Uh, what if, uh, I don't know who your favorite president was, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, Obama, maybe it's Bush, maybe it's you know, Reagan, maybe it's Biden, I don't know who your favorite president is today, but what, what if he came over to your house? And he was sitting right on your couch, and you were chatting him up for a while, and oh, Mr. President, what, what, what was that policy decision? It doesn't make sense to me what you did there. Could you explain it to me? 
You know, but he, he gave you 24 hours just to be in your presence. He gave you 24 hours to be walk in your house, and you can ask him whatever you want. You can spend any time you want with him. What would, what would it be like if, uh, if like, you, you've been with him for an hour or so, and, and you kind of just drifted away and started doing the laundry, and you forgot he was there? It's the president of the United States in your house. The leader of the free world is right there. And, uh, you know, like maybe an hour later, oh, I forgot the president is right there. We as Christians, American Christians, I wonder, I didn't look it up. I didn't uh, check the Gallup surveys or whatever, but because I was a little afraid to, honestly. How many, uh, if we were to track our time in prayer on a daily basis, how many hours would that be? How many minutes would that be? How many seconds would that be? The Lord God Almighty is coming to the house. And how many times do I avoid Him? How many times do I ignore Him? How much is my, my life is chasing trivial pursuits? How much of my life is chasing things and, and not paying any attention to God? Like, it's almost offensive. What do you mean, Paul, pray at all times? What do you mean, pray, Paul, pray continually? Don't you know I have a mortgage to pay for? Come on, I just bought that RV. Who's going to pay for that? I don't have to have time to pray. I've got to go to work. Ouch. Imagine if the Lord purchased you with His blood and He gave everything for you to be close to you and to be near to you. And what, what would happen if Jerron never gave Him the time of day? Never, never even talked to Him. Never even acknowledged His presence. That doesn't work in a marriage, I can guarantee you that. Sometimes when I've drifted away you know, and got off on my tasks and I haven't paid attention to Elizabeth, she lets me know it after a while. So what, what did, you know, so we run down this path in, in this sermon series on prayer. And uh, prayer is something bigger than just a, 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 a list of, of prayer requests. You know, like bringing, bringing a laundry list to Jesus and said, hey, hey, buddy, why don't you fill this? Prayer is this relationship. Relationship for us in the here and now is prayer. Of course, we study the Bible, read the Bible. This is a Living Water Bible Fellowship. We make a big deal about hearing God through His Word. He instructs us in His Word. But we're also talking about being in relationship. How do we meet God in the here and now? He's called us to pray. Brothers and sisters, I'm calling you to pray. But maybe the prayer I'm calling you to is something you've never done before or you've never understood. Let me start with some of the basics. When Jesus came from the heaven to earth, He was incarnate, fully God. He became fully man. And He grew up in this, this fallen world. All He knew before He was incarnate was the Holy Trinity, perfect love within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Man, they, were, they had everything together. There was no sin, no darkness. But here He is. He comes to the earth. He takes on flesh and He has to live in this dark world. He has to watch out for thieves, watch out for robbers, watch out for liars. He has, he, when he's a, as a businessman, as a carpenter, man, how many times did he get ripped off? I don't know. That was a mistake if, he, if people tried to rip him off. But nevertheless, he's living in this world and this brokenness and this shame. How did he make it? 
He was tempted more than any of us ever were. He was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. Man, I, I give him a temptation way too easy sometimes. Jesus never did. How did he make it? How did he live? Did, did, did he just willpower his way through? Did he just say, oh, I'm never going to sin? Uh, uh, or did, did he, did, as, as darkness came, as he was tempted and attacked, as, as people lied to him or ripped him off at work or whatever, stabbed him in the back, did he just, oh, I, I'm going to make it? I, I tell you that, that Jesus was a man of prayer in time and space. Mark chapter 1. And, and again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in these because I, I do, I don't want to, I could, man, so, so much time goes by in these sermons. I just, oh, man. But Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. There he prayed. Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So it was a busy time with the crowd. Some of you got very busy jobs. You're always with people and they're eating you alive. You come home exhausted or whatever. Jesus was exhausted with the crowd sometimes. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Verse 12. Uh, Verse 15, please. Verse ch- chapter 5, verse 15. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So Jesus, you know, he got, word got out that he was healing people. He was saving people as a, as a mark of the kingdom of God that was coming, a sign of the kingdom, you know, overcoming the demons and overcoming the darkness. But man, he became popular and he was overwhelmed. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Why, did, why would Jesus need to pray? He needed to be with his God, his Father in heaven. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. In these days he went out on the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. When day came, he called his disciples and chose them, the, the, the twelve, whom he named apostles. And so here in, in, in Luke, we, you know, he's got a big decision to make. And he doesn't do it willy-nilly. He doesn't just off the cuff, I think that's right. He prays about it. And in this case, he's, he's choosing the leaders of his church for when he departs to lead his church. And so he prays all night. And I start looking at that. Man, if the Lord Jesus needs to pray, what about me? If the Lord Jesus makes prayer a priority in his life, what, what about me? If the Almighty Son of God is dependent on prayer, if He's dependent on His time with the Father, if He's dependent on on the time with God, I need to be dependent on God. And so, we we studied in Daniel this summer, if you remember, there's a place where Daniel, we saw that he prayed three times a day. But do you think that Daniel limited his prayer time with God to three chats a day? Or do you think that he prayed in between the times as well? I think he's probably a man of prayer. It wasn't like he, well, I've got to go talk to God for 20 minutes and, 
and never think about God until the, the dinger went off again and he had the, okay, I'm back with you, God. There is a vision of prayer that I bring before you today to call you to is that you can be with God in more than just your prayer list. You can be because the Lord God has condescended Himself and He's come into your life. You can be with God throughout the day as you turn your mind, as you give your attention, as you give your focus to Him and His holy presence. Jesus uh, said it this way. If you look at John chapter 15, verse 5. John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, through the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about Himself in various metaphors. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. Right? I am the great I am. And here in John 15, he steals a metaphor. Jesus never stole anything. He takes a metaphor from the Old Testament. He says, I am the true vine. What was he, what was he referring to? In the Old Testament, again, you go to Isaiah, you go to some of the Psalms, God talked about Israel as his vine that he planted. God wanted to work through Israel and he, he used the metaphor of Israel as a vine that would bear fruit. As they live for him, as, as Israel tapped into God, as the Israelites got into the instruction, got into the Torah, as they, as they, as they tied themselves into the Judaism that God gave, they would bear fruit. And yet we know in the Old Testament that the people did not turn to their God. They did not draw near to their God. They did not listen to the commandments. They did not obey. And so they were taken out of the way. And so here Jesus is saying, Israel isn't the true vine. I am the true vine. You have to be attached to me to be attached to the Father. You have to be attached to me to bear fruit. And when it comes to prayer, have you ever seen a branch walk away from the vine? Imagine a grape vine, and it's got all these branches that come out, and uh, ultimately a grapevine exists to bear fruit. But it goes through the branch. A branch doesn't detach itself from the vine and say, hey, I'm out of here for a while. I'll see you in a couple weeks. Imagine, remember the VeggieTale cartoons? The talking fruit? What if a vine said, well, hello, I'm, I'm leaving you, vine. It, it just doesn't make sense, the picture in our mind. It, it, does, it doesn't go there, because Jesus says, I am the vine and the branch. 
So you stay connected is the imagery. Jesus says if you want to have fruit in your life, you want to see things happen in your life like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, you got to be rooted, you got to be tied to me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus is giving us the same vision as the Apostle Paul. He's saying, continually come to me, continually live in my presence, continually pray to me, continually be with me, and see what happens. For instance, that fruit of the Spirit, if you're loveless, if you're loveless, if you're joyless in your life, if you have no peace in your life, could it be that you're not connected with Jesus anymore? Could it be that you aren't walking with your Lord? If you're unkind, if you're anxious all the time, could it be that godly fruit isn't being born in your life because you're not present communing with Jesus? Jesus says, abide in me. It means stay close and near. Live with me. Draw near to me. And he means it. We talk about prayer as conversation sometimes. Or communication sometimes. And it is. But being with Jesus, the way he describes it, he describes it as communion. What would happen in your life in the chaos of your day, if you were with Jesus in your business meetings, if you were in, with Jesus as you're working on that truck, uh, you're with Jesus in the accounting department, you're with Jesus in the hospital. He intends us to be with Him always. Now, Again, Lord God Almighty is drawn near to us. If God feels like a million miles away right now, if you're a Christian, if, if you feel like He's not even close anymore, I have to ask the question, who moved? Because God has come to dwell in you and He's there. And so it's our calling to move away from the cultural traditions of our day and to dwell in the presence of the Lord God Almighty even in the midst of having a job and raising kids and going to school. I tell you, it's possible. So for the next seven or eight weeks, we're going to study the Lord's Prayer. They're not just phrases that we memorize and spout off. It actually is a pattern to being close with God in our life. May God bless us these next few months and may you experience God like you never have before. And may you be closer to God than you ever have before as you live a life of prayer. Luke, would you please come and would you please stand and let's sing the doxology together. I will say that if you have questions about prayer, if there's things you want to email me, if there's uh, things that you want to, uh, what about this or that, we can add an extra sermon or two this fall on, on uh, the questions you have. And so please get a hold of me. My, my email, my phone number's in the bulletin. Let's sing the doxology together.
peace of your Lord Jesus Christ this day. Go and be blessed. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now, he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.